0: All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puree Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the the vanilla as my favorite. So It's smooth, it's delicious, and you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real, natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puri Whey Protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puri's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to Puri.com slash That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash And then make sure you use promo code Biohacker Babes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body, I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy, I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Welcome to episode 36 of the Biohacker Babes. Today we are talking about fasting for women. And we have a special guest today, Kelsey Hess, who actually I have known for goodness, I guess about two years through Keon. she was a really big part in getting the Keon coaching program up and running. And so when I was going through the coaching program with Ben Greenfield, I got to know Kelsey, and she is just Incredible. I'm so excited for everyone to meet her today. She is an expert in this topic. So before we jump in, let me share her bio real quick. So Kelsey is a certified transformational nutrition coach that specializes in women's health and thyroid disorders. Her first introduction into health originated in a decade of researching and experimenting in order to overcome her own hormone imbalances and manage Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Since then, she developed her own systems and programs for autoimmunity and women's hormone optimization. More recently, she worked closely with Ben Greenfield, developing a certification course for health practitioners, diving deep into topics ranging from brain health to gut health, detoxification, hormones, fitness, athletic recovery, spiritual growth, and more. Currently, Kelsey is the content manager at Keon, and, which is a supplement and lifestyle company co-founded by Ben Greenfield. It's based in Boulder, Colorado. As a former engineer, her passion involves breaking down complex scientific topics in the health industry into simple ideas and solutions anyone can understand. Amazing. So welcome,
2: Kelsey. We're so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, you, I know you've had quite a personal journey with your own health, which I think a lot of us practitioners kind of go through and that's how we learn a lot. And it seems like that really transformed you into being an expert in what we're going to talk about today.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I guess just to give a little of my backstory, I was one of those women that got put on hormonal birth control at a really young age for, you know, for acne, you go to the doctor and and that's kind of what they gave you back at that time. So I started birth control really young and I think it, it, set me up for a lot of weird things going into my early 20s. And one of those things, along with like some mold exposure in an apartment I was living in, but I think birth control kind of contributed to triggering my autoimmune disease, which is uh, Hashimoto's. And so it took a really long time for me to figure out what was going on with my own health. You know, a decade ago, Hashimoto's wasn't super well known. People didn't really know how to test the thyroid appropriately. And functional medicine doctors were few and far between. So I, I kind of jumped around to a bunch of different doctors trying to figure out what was causing all these weird symptoms that I was having. And it took a couple of years to actually get diagnosed. And through that, I did a ton of experimenting with different diets. I, I feel like I've been on every diet on the face of the planet <laughs> at this point. Supplements, like cleanses, everything. I tried everything. And through that through that trial and error, I found a lot of things that worked for me. And one of those things was fasting. So, so that's kind of how I got interested in this topic specifically. And I've tinkered around with a lot of different types of fasts and have done it wrong too, for women specifically, which is I'm sure what we'll talk about. But through that, I found a lot of different techniques that can work in ways that maybe fasting is not a good idea for certain women. And so as you mentioned in my bio, my background isn't necessarily in health right off the bat. I got an environmental engineering degree and did like the corporate downtown Denver scene for a while. But I was dealing with a lot of my own health issues at that time. So all of my free time was basically spent listening to podcasts, reading books. And like eBooks were big at that time. So I remember downloading like a lot of random eBooks and reading yeah. those. And through that, I, I, I got the opportunity to kind of jump ship and get into a nutrition course. So I got my certified transformational nutrition certification. Gosh, that must have been like eight years ago or so. And uh I started my own coaching business after that. And so I got exposed to what it takes to run your own business and um try to fill your funnel with clients and and a website and everything like that. And it was a lot of work, but I loved it and I learned a ton about just working with different types of women and, and and what they're going through. And helping them kind of reverse a lot of their thyroid symptoms and hormonal imbalance symptoms and so develop some protocols based on that. But long story short, I came to Keon from meeting Ben Greenfield at a conference and got into developing the Keon U course with him. Learned a ton in that. Like I spent basically eight hours a day researching and reading Ben's content and just sort of uh, developing that into a course and that's how we met Renee. And then after that, I, I moved over to managing all the content for Keon. So our blog, emails, social media, any info products that we put out. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at now, and I'm loving awesome. it. It's it's super cool to to work for a company that can have a much bigger impact than I can by myself. <laughs> Yeah.
1: I'm so excited to have a female perspective on all of that content because Ben's content is incredible. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of us, especially our audience has been waiting for the, the female voice in all of this. And yeah. so I think this is the juice that we want. Like, How do we even approach fasting? There's so much misinformation out there or just, I don't know, information we don't know where to turn to to look for it. And I'm also really excited for you to get into the pill stuff because I don't think there's a lot of people <laughs> in the public eye talking about yeah. that. Like, I'm realizing more and more the women that I'm surrounded by have no idea that this is a possible, like toxic part of their lifestyle.
2: Yeah. So
0: uh, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited for all of it. So.
2: <laughs> that one fires <laughs> me up too. So we can yeah. go down the huge rabbit oh, hole. Oh man. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. The post birth control syndrome.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think you're going to answer a lot of questions. So I'm just so excited that you're coming from that perspective, but you know, putting your own voice on it. So.
2: Yeah. Thanks Lauren. We got a couple of comments on, uh, on our blog post about this topic of wanting a female version of Ben. Not that I am that, but oh. there's a there's definitely a hole to fill that are in the market for anyone listening. Like
1: Yeah, you <laughs> certainly it, could be. Just do it.
2: <laughs> and you guys too, like the biohacking babes, I love that. I I actually <laughs> when I was first trying to find a URL or like my like social handle, I think I bought that domain name. For my website a while back. Yeah, like Biohacking Babe or something like You're that. You're kidding. It's so serendipitous that uh, that's the name of your guys' podcast. I love it.
1: Okay, well, this <laughs> trio so is full of power here. Here we go. Yes. yes. You are
0: a biohacker, babe, as well. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, your journey has definitely been biohacking, like trying all the different diets and et cetera. That's totally biohacking.
2: Yeah, for sure. Just not the crazy fringe stuff, you know. I'm not. I'm not super into that as much as Ben is. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You gotta find a balance between the mm-hmm. two. <laughs> yeah, but you're babe. Like your
1: skin is glowing. You are effervescent. Like that's what this is about. It's just thriving in this world
2: as female. So yeah. I, thank you. I love that word thriving. It's, yeah, it's what we're yeah. going for.
0: Yeah, Kelsey, your skin really is glowing. But you said you had acne like as a teenager
2: yes like, oh, man. that's so hard
0: to believe your skin is
2: perfect thank you mm-hmm. thank you it's not perfect but uh <laughs> nice little nice little filter on the zoom I'm sure um, <laughs> I had that was that was something I struggled with it i I think it started as just like regular teenage acne just like the stuff on the forehead you, you're going through puberty like that's normal but you know the world is so focused on perfection that as a 16 year old woman, you don't want that to be normal. Yeah. And so I was doing like the proactive thing. I did antibiotics. I did the retin all of the really harsh stuff. And, um, I think that made it worse. And so it kept just getting worse and worse. I had no idea about diet or anything like that. Like I grew up standard American diet, ravioli, like <laughs> microwave, pizza, soda, all of that stuff. Yep. So I didn't I didn't know anything about diet at that point in time. So I was just kind of trying all the conventional stuff and uh, got on birth control because one of my teammates got on it and it cleared up her skin a lot. So I was like, oh, let's I want to try that. And so I went to the doctor, got it prescribed. Super easy, no questions, no discussion of what it can do to you nothing like that and to be fair I don't know if we really knew at that time what all the implications of birth control was like I think a lot of that's coming out now so yeah as like a, a really young female I got on a pill that essentially shuts down my natural hormonal cycle ovulation everything before your body even knows what it's doing at that point so yeah I think I think that's that was really the first like tick for me that that set me off on like a really yeah, just a hard early 20s life of all these hormonal issues and things coming right. up. And so now I'm not on birth control. haven't been for a couple of years and I can really manage my skin health with diet really well. And so I think dairy is a big trigger for me as it is for a lot of people, gluten, sugar, alcohol, all those things. So yeah, and, and just really like cleaning up your skincare too is a big one. For me now, all I use is coconut oil. Like it, and that's I've really found that 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 works for me. But some people some people do better with different oils or or no no oil at all. So I think it really depends on the woman. But
0: yeah. So are you on kind of like a paleo ish diet?
2: Yeah, yeah. I would say it's it's really close to paleo. I I was super strict autoimmune paleo for a couple of years. And that that helped a lot with my autoimmune disease and my skincare too. Now I'm finding a balance. I think you sort of go through this period when you're recovering from a health issue where you're really strict with a lot of things and you kind of have to be to figure out what works for you. And I'm, I'm sort of over that hump now where I'm like, okay, I can have, you know, some white rice, occasionally some quinoa, potatoes, stuff like that that's not necessarily paleo, but it's definitely a whole foods based for sure. I'm completely gluten-free, mostly dairy-free. And yeah, I find that works for me really well.
1: I'm a huge yeah. fan of like the paleo inspiration, but just making it your own.
2: Totally. I love
1: the foundation of it, but yeah, you got to tweak it to make it work for you.
2: Yeah. 80-20 is always, always a good approach, I think. But yeah, paleo is great because it's just a template that removes a lot of the crap. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love it too. I'm a, that I'm a huge fan of that diet for sure.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, us too. <laughs> so, let's get into the fasting. Can you tell us your experience with this and I don't even know where to begin. Start at the beginning.
0: <laughs> well, I think something interesting that I heard you say Kelsey was how like all the research on fasting is more done on like rodents and men? Yeah. Can you speak to that? Cuz that's totally
2: <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, At Keyon, just for background, we do a fasting challenge every year, at least for the last two years. And part of that, a lot of that is educating people on the different types of fasting and like what breaks fast or what doesn't, all of that sort of thing. So I really dove into the research when we started doing that challenge. And our first year, we kind of had like a caveat in our ebook of like, women may need some like different approaches for fasting signs that it might not be working for you, et cetera, et cetera. but that's really as deep as I dove into it. This last year, I was like, you know, I think there's there's a lot more work to be done here because there's not a lot of, nobody's talking about this really. It's either some women experts will be like, women should never fast. Like, this is not a good idea. This is going to screw up your hormones if like, you don't need to do it, blah, blah, blah. A lot of those experts are more focused on female athletes, which I, I agree with that demographic, not necessarily having to do a ton of fasting. And then mm-hmm. other experts that are sort of in the longevity, cancer prevention, autoimmune circle, are like everyone should fast. It's great for you. Like women don't need to do it differently than men. And so I'm like, there's no one in the middle that's kind of like weaving between those two thoughts of it can work for some women. For some women, it's a really bad idea. And then maybe there's an in-between where sometimes it's good for you and sometimes it isn't. So It's like, it's it can be pretty complicated. But just for that background, there's not a ton of research. I, I started diving into it. And I'm like, oh, wow. A lot of these studies, most of these studies that people cite constantly about the benefits of fasting, and Keon was guilty of this too, are done on mice or men. So Hmm. there's a huge gap in there for not only just women, but healthy young women. There's almost zero studies that go into how fasting impacts lean, healthy young women. And a lot of them that you'll see that talk about the metabolic benefits or the weight loss benefits are on postmenopausal women, and oftentimes is that's like an obese, like an obese postmenopausal women population, or they're done on female mice. So it's just noticing there's a huge gap here, but we're drawing all these conclusions for the general public based on these studies that are done on a different gender or a different species overall. And yeah, I don't think,
1: pertain to us, and we're the ones that are looking for these answers. Right. I think young, healthy women that want to upgrade
2: hmm Totally. Yeah. You want to be doing what you can do to optimize your health span and live a long, healthy life and be super lean and fit and all these things. And so we see that men are, a lot of men that I see at least are thriving on regular fasting practices. I know my husband is one of them and they have like these shredded abs and a ton of energy and they're like brains on fire. And they, they talk about all these benefits of fasting, but you start talking to some women You don't really necessarily hear that, especially lean young women. It's like, well, you know, I tried fasting, but I lost my period, or I tried it, but I actually gained weight, or kind of my hormones kind of went out of whack. And so that population has not really been represented much in the general sphere of things. And it's, you want to like get really angry about the fact that there's not a lot of research on women, but you also have to realize that young women who are having their menstrual cycle are really complicated to actually study, right? Like we all are on different parts of our cycle at different times at different lengths every month. And where you are in your cycle dictates how you experience literally everything, how you Mm -hmm. react to different foods, how you react to different exercise routines, how you react to stress, how your brain functions, like Though all of those things make for an N equals one experiment like almost impossible, right? And yeah. And so I think that's really the root cause of it is like we haven't necessarily figured out how to study cycling women in a way that's really conclusive, you know?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, during on You, I remember the lesson that I thought was so fascinating with looking at like every week of your cycle like how much fat versus carbs versus protein, like just how much that changes week to week. Yep. I was like, so yeah, it is very complicated. No wonder no one wants to research us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for sure. We're so, yeah. like I, I think I said in the article, we're like magical, ever-changing creatures. <laughs> which yes, is cool, we are. Which is really cool. <laughs> and that's what makes women so fascinating to work with and to talk too. to, but it makes it really hard for science to, to know what to do with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when there's so, so many women out there, they're out of touch with their cycles because they're on the pill or they just don't even know how to track it. They're, they haven't done their own research. Like so many of my friends are just on the pill. They don't know when to expect their period. If they're going to get their period, they're not getting their period.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: so much more education that needs to be done.
2: That's a huge problem too. And I think that's, we've kind of lost touch with our cycles and how to, to intuitively eat and exercise and just live our life based on that because a lot of us don't even have a cycle right like we're on birth control or yeah, it's just cycles shut down yeah shut down completely yeah. so we don't even know what it feels like to to be ovulating or to be in that follicular luteal phase like we don't even know what that means
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah definitely need education there and hopefully the three of us the biohacker babes can help girls with that i mean just something as simple as like taking your temperature every morning mhm like, just start with something really basic like that. But yeah, I, I can't imagine not like not knowing when you're going to start your cycle. Like that, yeah. that would kind of freak me out. I like, yeah. I literally like look on the calendar. I'm like, okay, that's going to be day one. I can like plan my workouts, my meals, I can plan everything. Mm-hmm. I can not imagine just being out and about and being like, oh, surprise. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So totally. There's a
0: benefit there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been in that. I mean, I can, I can relate to that because I've been there too, of coming off of the pill and your cycle being so irregular. Like I didn't have my period for eight months or so when I came off and, uh, and then it took like two years to be super regular. So I totally relate to how that feels and not like, almost wanting to just get back on it cuz that was familiar and and you kind of like knew when your period was coming your period in quotation marks cuz it's it's just a, a like a withdrawal bleed and you don't you don't actually your hormones don't really fluctuate when you're on the pill it's just like a steady steady level withdrawal bleed with the sugar pills and then it's like the same level so yeah it's yeah. it's really interesting being back to just a, like a normal regular cycle and just be like oh wow i can totally feel when I'm about to start my period, I can totally feel when I'm ovulating. Like I'm, I, I feel different.
0: Yeah. So tuned in. So do you find there's different times of the month that you can fast?
2: Yeah. For me personally, I, I definitely find that there's times that are easier and I, um, I really want to do a post on this too. It's super interesting. But basically to start with like during your period, that time is... A little tricky for some women, right? You're kind of crampy. You're kind of bloated. Some women don't have as much energy like right when they start their period. But after that, between the time that you're like in the middle or almost to the end of your period and ovulation, that time is actually a really great time to fast. If you're looking for the easiest time, I guess I would say your estrogen's a bit higher, which keeps you really satiated. So you're not craving like the chocolate the carbs or anything like that, you just don't find that you're you're super creepy and your appetite's a lot more satiated and your metabolism isn't as high at that time as it would be later in your cycle. So that's a really easy time for a lot of women to to do fasting, whether it's you know intermittent fasting or or if you're planning a longer extended fast, if you can squeeze it into that like day eight to day 14 timeframe of your period you're probably going to find the most benefits there for sure, because that estrogen is a little bit higher, progesterone is lower. And uh, yeah, for me, I try, if I'm going to do an extended fast, I try to squeeze it in, in that window for sure. And so how what, long, oh,
1: sorry, go ahead. Yeah, how long or what? what's the best like fasting window to start out with for women during that time?
2: Oh, to start out with. This this is the rabbit hole. <laughs> this <laughs> is the sure. one that there's like so many well it depends. So it depends on what you're fasting for specifically. Like we're really big on that at Keon. What are you doing XYZ for? Because that's gonna dictate how you do it and when you do it and the duration of, of it. So let's say what so to set up that question, Lauren, what would like what would the point of the person fasting and that time frame B. Like, do you think so? If you were fasting for (laughs) you had to play your mic. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You thought I was just gonna go on a long rant.
1: (laughs) So let's just say there someone is trying to optimize their energy and also like be able to stay on a schedule with workouts. Maybe not like a crazy, I'm gonna change my entire lifestyle and change my body, but just to optimize energy levels.
2: Totally. So if they're like a young, healthy female, they could start, honestly, if they're not already doing 12 hours daily, I would start there. So that's super easy, right? Like you stop eating at 6 p.m., you don't eat again until 6 a.m. And you can kind of shift that depending on when your workout is. So say you're like more of an evening workout person, you might stop eating dinner at 8 p.m. then and not eat breakfast until 8 a.m. If you're a morning workout person, you actually might want to, depending on what you're going for with your workout, you actually might want to eat your breakfast before your workout, especially if it's going to be like a super high intensity glycolytic demanding workout. They've actually shown that women respond, more, respond better like building muscle wise if they f- are fed before they work out. So if you're going for that and you're going for performance, you actually may, might want to stop eating dinner at like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. and eat at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. before your workout. So there's like different ways to sort of skin the cat uh so to speak. Oh God, there's so
1: many variables. So, yeah, so many. I'm just gonna like try, try to throw a few more out there. So if yeah, you're trying great. to optimize fat loss or like lose a little bit of weight, like pre, I don't know, something big in your life, or you're just trying to have a spin, uh, like spring cleaning. Yeah.
2: Um so if you're trying to to lose a little bit of weight, I would say there's there's a couple of different ways to do it and you could do that fasted workout in the morning and maybe feel with some aminos or something like that. So you're not totally um, deprived of energy. So you could do a 16 hour window, 14 to 16 hour window where you're actually doing your fasted workout in the morning and then you're refeeding right after to sort of support the, the, the lean muscle mass that you want in the recovery and so that could look like stopping dinner at 6 p.m. Oh, let's check my math. Stopping dinner at 6 p.m. Doing your fasted workout, which I have a few notes on, like fasted workouts for women, and then eating your breakfast after that at like 9 a.m. or 11. And so you're hitting you're hitting a little bit of that fat burning. But I would say if you're gonna do the fasted workout for mo, if this is like a young healthy woman, you want to do an aerobic workout, if that makes sense. You don't want to do that like high intensity CrossFit, super glycolytically demanding hard workout. You actually want to do like 30 minutes of steady state cardio, because that's going to get you in that fat burning state that you want to be in. And you're not going to spike your cortisol as much, which we definitely don't want to do as women. Because if cortisol is spiking constantly during the day, that actually affects your reproductive hormones and your ability to lose weight as well. So that's what I would suggest. I wouldn't do that every day either. Like I, if, if this is a sure. young woman, I would do this like two days a week max where you're doing those fasted workouts.
1: Yeah. So you want to avoid like getting into that fight or flight because that is what is we're seeing is affecting the hormones.
2: Yeah. And how do
1: you know if you're getting to that place? Because we can't test our hormones like every day of the month, right? Like we can send in a test every now and then, but like, are you going to feel something if it's not working for you immediately? Like how do we track this?
2: I don't, it, to, to say immediately is hard. For some women, it's kind of like, I've been doing this for a couple of weeks and it seems like it's working. And then they sort of hit this place where they don't think it's working. And so some signs that like a fasting or a fasting plus workout routine isn't working for you. Let's say you get like an, an afternoon slump. So that's a sign that you're spiking your cortisol really early in the morning. And then it's coming back down and it's dropping. And so if you hit that like three or 4 PM, you're just like, oh damn, like I need a nap or I need a snack or I need a cookie or (laughs) or another (laughs) cup of coffee. Like that's probably a sign that your cortisol rhythm is off. And then other signs of, you know, that fasting isn't working for you that might be more long-term are typically signs of hormonal imbalance in general. So low libido is a big one. Just losing your cycle or your cycle being super irregular is also another one that'll take a couple months to actually notice, but that's a sign that you're doing something that isn't working for you. Hair loss is one for sure because the thyroid gets affected as well. When we're when we're spiking cortisol and we're in a calorie restricted zone or we're too stressed out, like thyroid definitely gets affected. And so you could feel really cold all the time. You could be losing hair. You could be super resistant to weight loss. So maybe it's like working for you at first, but now you're actually not losing any more weight or maybe you're even gaining some weight that's probably a sign that your body is sort of in this mode where it's stressed out and it wants to hold on to all of the energy intake that you're, you're taking in. So those are, those are probably the biggies. I'm I'm probably forgetting some, but any changes in energy, any changes in skin and hair health, your body composition, or I think that's it. (laughs) Those are like the big, yeah, those are like the big buckets for sure.
0: So is it really coming down to that fasting is a stressor for the body, right? Like everything can be a good stress or bad stress. Is that the big question? Is fasting a good stressor or bad stressor for you at this time?
2: Yeah, that is you nailed it. Like that it really is the big question. For a lot of women that are in this sort of healthy kind of just trying to optimize zone, how much stress is going on in the rest of your life, right? Because fasting, like other things is a hormetic stressor. So it's a, it's a good in quotation mark stressor, but it does contribute to your overall stress load, right? Just as exercise can do. And so there's really, a, everyone has their own limits of what what amount of stress that they can actually take before they start to see negative impacts. But yeah, if you're, let's say, look, I'm going to give you a really common scenario. Let's say you you're a woman and you have a regular job that you go to every day. Maybe you commute to that job. So you're dealing with traffic sometimes, right? And work is sometimes stressful. Sometimes you have to work at night. Maybe you also have kids. That's a lot of stress right there too. And chances are, if you're trying to do any sort of optimization or improve body composition, you're probably restricting calories as well. You might be restricting whole macronutrients like carbs. That's a stress on the body too, especially for women, because we actually are, it's been shown we're more sensitive to calorie restriction. And so that's kind of where all this ties in. So maybe you're, you're restricting calories, maybe intentionally or not intentionally, you're probably exercising too. So that's a stress as well. And then we've got all these other environmental stresses that we deal with, deal with on a daily basis, like our air quality, our water quality, EMF, blue light exposure, all of that. So if you think about it in the context of the, 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 like the normal female that's really just trying to kick ass in life, she's already got a lot of stress that she's dealing with. And so to throw a fasting practice on top of that, you really need to understand what you're doing and pay attention to your body and also have a really clear reason of why. Like, why are you doing this? Are you doing it because you heard on a podcast that's probably a male host that it's really good for you and it's going to help you live to 180? You might want to like rethink that a little bit and maybe maybe do some research on your own because a lot of that research, as I mentioned, is done on men. So yeah, it's like adding fasting. We tend to make it more stressful than it should be, right? Like if you have a really not stressful life, and you've kind of dialed in everything else and you're like, I feel like I could, yeah, I could totally do some fasting right now, then it, it, it will probably work for you. It may work for you just depending on your health status. But if you've already got all those other things going on and you're fasting because you think you should, you might not want to be doing that at this point in time. And it really just depends on the woman too.
0: Yeah. We need like a full algorithm to type in. <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh. How cool would that be? Yeah. Where are you at in your cycle? How much stress do you have in your life? Like what does your diet look like? All of those things really, really play a part.
1: What benefits have you experienced from fasting
2: personally? Yeah, that's a great question. I think early on for sure, especially trying to deal with an autoimmune disease, there's a lot of research on fasting and autoimmunity because it essentially puts you it can put you into a cellular cleanup mode, essentially, like this autophagy thing that, the, that we're all going for. Um, that's really helpful for the immune system because your body basically gets a break from digesting food and, and ideally just breaking that down into like, okay, we're going into cleanup mode because we're not taking in any more energy. So it sort of shifts you into that state. So for my autoimmune disease, personally, it was, it was really pivotal and kind of healing from that and getting back on track. I think for my skin health too, it was also really helpful. I think I just had a lot of toxicity built up from all of the crap that I was taking and a shitty diet and in a bad diet where I just needed some time to clean that out. And so for me, it was, it was super helpful in skin health and autoimmunity for sure. For me personally, I don't see body composition benefits with fasting. I actually see it more when I when I have like a 12-hour a fast and I can really work out super hard and be really active. I think that's probably because I'm a young female and I'm, I'm still menstruating. And I think that group specifically will probably see more benefits when they're not doing as much extended fasting. So yeah, skin health and immune health and gut health for sure, which are all kind of tied in together. That's where I really experienced a lot of the benefits from fasting, and I've tried it all like I've tried all the different fasts that you can really yeah. do, with the exception I've never done like a dry fast before, like no water,
0: yeah, yeah, that sounds rough,
2: yeah, and it's not i I mean, I think maybe if I was yeah super sick, I might try it, but it it was never necessary for me,
0: yeah, so you've done like extended water fasts, mm-hmm. right, so like five right the keyon fast is five days.
2: So I've never done a five day water fast. Um, (laughs) I haven't. And I I don't know if I ever would, quite honestly. I saw enough benefits with like a 24 hour water fast and doing three day, what we call at Keon, this is kind of a term that we coined, I guess, the caloric liquid fast, where I was doing a three day bone broth fast or three day smoothie fast. Back in the day, I was like doing juice cleanses. Yeah, I've kind of tried all of that stuff as well.
0: Yeah. Where you're really just giving your digestive system a break, Yeah, right? Not Mm -hmm. having to break down food, which I mean, I experienced that. I do 12 to 14 hours every night. And the biggest benefit is just my digestive system feels so much better. I sleep better too. I don't know how people eat before bed. Like that destroys my sleep. (laughs) Me either. That's been a game
1: changer for me. Yeah. I have so many friends that eat huge meals right before they go to bed and they sleep through the night. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, they I mean, obviously, they <laughs> yeah, they think
1: they do. Like, yeah, they, they get a Yeah, <laughs>
0: right.
1: yeah. I'm sure if we dug a little bit
0: deeper, that would not be the case. But yeah, I agree with you on the benefits. <laughs> well, I, I will say, I the longest, somewhat fast, I did was the Prolon. Oh yeah, fasting mimicking diet. And again, what what was my goal of doing it? It was honestly just to try it, so I knew when I recommended it to patients, what it was really about. Yeah. It wasn't really for me. Like I know a lot of people do prolon to lose weight or they're really sick. I wasn't really having any of these issues. And I have to say on by day two, I had lost like two and a half pounds. Oh wow. I wasn't trying to lose weight. So I told that ideal for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I started, don't tell the people at prolon. I did this. Actually I told my rep and she, her jaw dropped. I added like a butter collagen coffee, to my midday, and then I added two cups of vegetables in the afternoon, like every day, just to put the weight back on quickly. Okay. But I still, I still tried the food; it tasted great. You know, it's definitely an interesting way to mimic a fast, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why the name is that. But, but I'm like you; I, I don't think I'll ever do an extended water fast, even.
1: Yeah. Me either.
0: Oh, I remember what I was going to ask you. Caffeine
1: intake and fasting, specific to women. Let's just say specifically, coffee in the morning if you're trying to fast. Cortisol, all of that stuff. How does that come together?
2: Yeah, it uh, it depends. <laughs> 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 I always use that answer, but it's so true. <laughs> like I don't want to be like getting no. I that love that
1: answer. I love that because no <laughs> one should just walk away from this podcast being like, "This is what I'm going to do." Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Now I have more questions, and then maybe they will have more answers on their own. So.
2: Totally. On, okay, great. I, I hope it doesn't sound like a cop out. But yeah, it really depends on how you interact with caffeine personally. So we know that there's like a, a caffeine metabolism gene that really impacts how fast or slow you metabolize caffeine. So let's say if you're a fast caffeine metabolizer, it might be okay. If you've done genetic testing, you'll, you'd will you probably know it too. Like, can you have coffee at 9pm and still go to bed? That means you're probably a fast caffeine metabolizer. If you're a slow caffeine metabolizer, you might want to try fasting, maybe try fasting with caffeine and then try fasting without caffeine. Probably don't go cold turkey. If you're used to having coffee every day, maybe wean off the week before you fast and then do it. But it can spike cortisol, especially if you're sensitive to caffeine, it can definitely spike cortisol. But if you're fasting for, let's say mental, like you really like the mental acuity that comes with fasting and you're you're fasting because you're about to do like a really big project at work, or you really just need to focus. Caffeine can actually help that and enhance that benefit as long as you stick to like one or two cups and don't get super weird and jittery if you're fasting for fat loss, there's actually some research that shows that caffeine can help metabolize the fatty acids. So Renee, I know you hear Ben talk about this all the time. Again, not really studied in women. So take this with with like a grain of salt, but he likes to do caffeine in the morning and then a fasted really light workout, like walking or yoga or something like that, and then mix it with cold exposure. So you're really just like metabolizing a lot of fatty acids and burning that fat. So that could be a good approach, I would say, for postmenopausal women. I would say for most pre-menopausal women, unless you're just doing like a 12-hour fast, you're kind of squeezing it in there, I wouldn't recommend that. And then in terms of autophagy benefits, it's actually been shown that, it's not necessarily the caffeine that supports autophagy, but it's the polyphenols in coffee. So you can do decaf coffee too, or like green tea or something like that. But that can actually upregulate autophagy. It's been shown in some studies. So if you're if you're older and you're kind of going for the longevity stuff, yeah, maybe have some like some polyphenol rich beverage, like a coffee or a green tea or something during your fasting window to, to impact that. If you're fasting for like Pure discipline and like spiritual benefits of it. Maybe you just want to be like super pure, like just water. I know a lot of people would just say you're not fasting unless you're having nothing but water, but that's not necessarily true. It depends on how you define a fast. If you want to be super pure about it, yeah, don't don't take in any coffee. Like, see if you can just get away with some water. Focus on the health benefits of that.
0: I know Dan Pompa has the recommendation of like you were saying, how to figure out if you can do the coffee. He says to test your glucose and your ketones hmm. before the coffee, I think 30 minutes after the coffee and then two hours after the coffee. Okay. I mean, that's if you have something that you can test glucose and ketones. Yeah. But just to show the bio-individuality of it, like looking at the relationship of the glucose versus ketones. A little complicated maybe. If if anyone wants to know about that, message me. I can like dive deeper. <laughs> yeah, Again, it's Yeah, I've seen some bit.
1: variation with that, Renee. I've tested a little bit because I have my CGM right now. And I thought that yeah. coffee maybe wasn't going to have a favorable response. But coffee was much better, for lack of a better word, than like other, I don't know, natural energy drinks, like a green tea with an L-theanine. There's a popular product out there. And it seemed to be like a little easier on the system. But for me, it spiked my glucose like oh, right like way more than coffee. So yes, oh, that's interesting. you got to know what works for you because the label appeared to be something that would be a little more gentle and it just wasn't for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, the glucose response is really one of the only super accessible ways and like clear ways to test how you're reacting to a certain food or drink because everyone's yeah. going to have a different reaction to that. And uh, I know Ben's told me that coffee will actually spike his glucose, but he thinks it's a good thing because you're metabolizing something from your liver that's getting released, and and that's what you see in that glucose reading. So he actually sure. thinks it's a good yeah, thing yeah. for him. But I, I don't really know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Interesting. It's, it's always good to test, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to know more about that too. I I think I am sensing like a benefit from the spiking as long as I can come back down. But mm-hmm. again, I think there's a lot of research we need there.
2: For sure. Yeah.
1: Fascinating. <laughs> um, I want to get more into some birth control pill stuff, I think, before we run out of time. All right. Yeah. Anything yeah. else we can dig into to educate the audience?
2: Oh, to, for, edu- for education, honestly, like the, and if you can get her in your podcast, do it. But like the the woman really pioneering all of this is Dr. Jolene Brighton. Like she's, we are amazing. trying, we are trying to get her on oh, the show. She's my female crush for sure. She's
1: awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. she's such a badass. It's so
2: relatable. So relatable. relatable. Yeah. And really smart, really, really smart. So she talks a lot about post-birth control syndrome. If you're thinking of coming off of the pill or like about to go on it or like not really sure what to do, read her book beyond the pill. That's what I would say. That can give you way more information than I can for sure. But yeah, I would just say if you can avoid it, (laughs) if you can avoid the pill, avoid the pill because there's really the, what's the only benefit, right? Like it, prevent pregnancy the rest are just downsides it affects Mm. your gut health it affects there have been shown to be like permanent permanent changes to your liver health from being on the pill that like cannot be reversed Mm. so your liver health and your gut health are so important for everything you know it's just like that alone should really make you wary of being on the pill it can deplete certain nutrients like b vitamins and magnesium kind of just it kind of just can set you up for a lot of issues down the road. So if you can avoid the pill and just go with other birth control alternatives, do that, you know, educate yourself on those different options. I've been married for five years and I'm not pregnant and I don't use birth control. So it's possible. (laughs) And so there's tons of methods out there. I think if people are interested in the different methods, instead of me just going into them, like do some research on natural fertility methods, tracking your cycle, like you said, Renee, taking your temperature, there's only like six or so days a month where you can actually get pregnant. So just be like, I think that's a a big thing for a lot of women to hear like, oh, wow, I'm taking this pill every day for years for only six days out of my every month. And put, this might be controversial to say, but put some responsibility on your partner too. Like, it's a little bit easier to do if you're in a committed relationship, but that's, that's half the battle, you know, put some responsibility on him to be aware and not just put all of it on you. I think women get this burden of like, I have to be the one to prevent myself from getting pregnant. Like it's all my fault if I get pregnant. No, it's not. (laughs) You know, he probably has more responsibility in it than anyone. (laughs) So I, I like to empower women to, you know, you don't have to be on the pill. You can make these other shifts that will prevent you from being pregnant too. I also know that there's populations like people with endometriosis where the pill is really helpful for them. So I'm, I'm cognizant of that for sure. But just be be educated and do what's, do what's best for you. But for me personally, the risks definitely outweigh the benefits.
1: Yeah. I I like what Jolene says about just having access to it. Like we deserve and have the right to access, but that doesn't mean that we should just go to our doctor and then take it immediately
2: to ask the
0: questions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's shocking how many people are on it. And something I know Jolene talks about in her book is when you are on birth control, it makes you attracted to, how do I say this politely? Like the wrong person.
2: Oh. (laughs) Oh. That's yeah, the yeah. freakiest. That <laughs> yeah. was like learning that. I was like, oh my God. So it's an easier selection of mate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was only on birth control for two months. I'm so, so grateful for that because I had such a bad reaction to it. Mm-hmm. When my now husband of nine years, we were dating back then during those two months. I was like, I'll be honest. I was like annoyed by him. I was trying to break up with him.
2: Oh,
0: it was the weirdest thing. And then I got off birth control and everything's been fine. And I told that story to Jolene at a conference a couple months ago. She personally had the same thing happen with her now husband.
2: Oh, wow. Crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, (laughs) it, that, I think that tidbit that I learned about it was like, that's freaky. Just like, what if you're on, what if you're on the pill and you meet your partner on the pill and then you get married, I'm sure this is a common scenario, not saying that anyone's married to the wrong person, but this is a possibility, right? Yeah. Something like to think you about. Get married, yeah. You come off the pill and now you're no longer attracted to or compatible with your partner. Like that's terrible, you know? Um, yeah. So it's really, it, it's really just something to be, to be aware of. Um, and it, for me personally, it changed my brain. I, I remember I was on it in college and Everything felt so much harder. (laughs) Word word recall was really hard for me. Studying was really hard. I just felt like my brain didn't work very well. And Mm. as soon as I came off, I'm like, oh, I feel normal again. You know, I feel like I'm my brain works and I, I I smarter. Honestly, I felt smarter when I came off of it. So just those things alone are like really reasons to be careful and cautious.
0: Yeah. Well, we need the progesterone for brain health, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you're suppressing that. Totally. Oh, crazy. Well, hopefully this is really helpful for women out there to just <laughs> tune in, be more aware, right? I feel like we say that on every episode, right? Just be your own biohacker, figure out what's going on in your body and what works best for you.
2: Yeah. I love that. I say be your own doctor a lot, but biohacker is probably more oh, appropriate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Be your own doctor.
2: Yeah. We need yeah. doctors too, though. So I like be your own bio, biohacker for sure.
0: Yeah. You can work with your doctors, but at the end of the day, it's all up to you.
2: Mm-hmm, definitely.
0: Yeah. yeah. We would love to share some of your content and any
1: research that you think would be useful for our audience. We'll put it in the show notes because I'm sure people's heads are reeling right now. <laughs> I know. There are a <laughs> lot out there. like You did a beautiful job. Like You created the most amazing flowchart about like if, then, if, then, in this is yeah. so awesome, but there's just so much information. But So anything you want to share- on paper would be amazing.
2: Yeah, I would love to I can I can send you guys some stuff and I really think like the part one and two articles on our site so getkeon.com, we have a blog there and it's they're actually our most two recent articles so they're pretty easy to find. That really has a lot of it in there. They're really long articles and they kind of walk you through whether or not fasting could be right for you depending on um, your goals and whether you're premenopausal or postmenopausal. Also if you have different diseases that you're trying to deal with like how, how it can impact you in that way. So I would just really like direct people to that because I know we didn't dive into it too deeply. But um, yeah, and if if you guys find any resources too, like send them to me because I'm I'm super into this topic right now.
0: Awesome. Before we let you go to try and wrap it up, one piece of advice for our listeners that they can start today. If you oh. could pick one thing. It
2: can be anything. Gosh, I would say just be in touch with with your own body. Whatever that means for you. I think that in lieu of not having a ton of research, especially on women and nothing that's super conclusive, that's all you can do. So if you're doing something that you've heard on a podcast or you've read in a book because and you think it's healthy for you, but really it doesn't, it's not it's not serving your health or it's making your health worse or your mood or whatever, don't do it just because someone says you should do it and because it's gonna help you live a long time. Really be in touch with your own body. Pay attention to how it's reacting to certain foods and, and certain things in your life. And I think that'll go a long way for a lot of people. So just in the context of having so much information and misinformation out there, people can get super overwhelmed and not know what's working for them when really all you have to do is pay attention to, to your own body. And so that's, that's really the, if I were to say one thing to someone, um, that's probably what I would say.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. takeaway. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. This has been a blast and I can't wait to share this episode next week. I have mean, a feeling our audience is going to want you to come back many times. So, <laughs>
2: yes, I would love to come back. I love to talk about this stuff. It was super fun chatting with you both. And uh, yeah. yeah, anytime, just let me know. Cool. Yeah. And we'll see
0: you in Austin. Yeah. Will you be at Paleo FX?
2: Oh, I don't know if we're going to Paleo FX this year. Um, <gasps> oh, please come. Oh, I know. Good. Yeah. It's so fun. It's super fun. If we'll go, if we go, we probably won't have a booth. It'll just be like some Keon people walking around, which is even better. Cause I'm not like stuck there serving coffee all day. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you want to be
1: able to walk around and meet people. It's like the best social hang of the year.
2: I think. Totally. Yeah. yeah I love that conference. Yeah. So I'll let you guys know if we go and uh, I'll okay. definitely meet up with you. Awesome. awesome. All right, thanks ladies. All right. Thanks so
0: much, Kelsey. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and
0: leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.